What's up, guys? This is Zach Herger, Idea Addict. Hey, I just wanted to make this podcast to uh, get my ideas out there. I feel like I'm always ranting and raving my ideas to my family and my wife in the middle of the night. And she's to the point where she's like, just make a podcast and get it out of your system, you know. Um, and I, I feel like I do have to get it out of my system because if I don't, it builds up and I think it turns to bile and makes me sick. So I just want to get... I just want to put my ideas out there and maybe if somebody stumbles across one and, and starts a business off of one of my ideas and can make a living out of it, you know, that would be the dream. But today I just want to kind of talk about how I got started on my entrepreneur journey. Um, and I guess I'd always kind of been starting businesses and, and doing things on and off, you know, like when I was a kid, I, I would mow and in college I had a little moving business. But I never intended to be an entrepreneur for my whole life. In fact, I didn't ever really think about it. Um, when I was in college, I actually was going to college because I wanted to be a cop because I thought I wanted to be in the FBI or Secret Service or the CIA or something like that. But right after college and I was in the middle of interviewing to be a cop, um, I actually got a DUI and got in trouble with that and it just did at that time, you know, there's people coming back from the Iraq war and they had veterans points and I didn't have them. So it just uh, quickly became very evident that that was not going to work out for me. So, um, I decided, well, I have to do something. And at the time it was 2009, there really wasn't like a ton of jobs available out there. It was pretty similar to what it's like right now. You know, there was a lot of fear with the financial crisis and everything, but at that time, and I'm sure now, and pretty much all the time, there's always financial service businesses, insurance companies, Edward Jones, things like that. They're always looking for people um, to sell their products, to do financial planning, things like that. And and there was a place locally, and and they had like a lot of good advertisements that was really enticing to somebody like me. You know, unlimited commissions, our average, you know new financial rep who makes a hundred thousand dollars a year, just things like that. There were really, uh, really good hooks, I guess. So I decided to interview and during the interview, you know, they really play it up. Everyone's wearing a suit. They have attractive girls at the front desk. They have attractive, uh, personal assistants, you know, <clears throat> they really played it up good. They have a beautiful office. They got like a two story fountain, you know, all the fixings, top floor view of downtown, whatever. So I go down there and the first interview, basically, they just try to get to know you, try to like feel you out. And then they like asked me a lot about like my family, like what my parents did for a living, kind of where I grew up. Asked me a lot about the kind of people that I knew, like family, friends, which I never really been to a real job interview before. So that didn't like dawn on me as anything like too strange. So I made it first the past the first round of interviews, and I guess I think there was like three or four rounds of interviews. But about like the second or third round, they want you to come in with a um, a list of like three or four hundred people you know, which I thought I didn't really think much of at the time. But now looking back, it's like it's pretty obvious what they were doing. But they wanted you to like write down everybody you knew, all their contact information, everything like that. And then like the owner of that branch or whatever, like looked it over, kind of like ask you about the people, how, how do you know them? Like what they did for a living, like how much of the, you thought a lot of the people on there made. 
So, um, I guess I like past. I knew enough people. So the thing was the other benefit, I guess, was that they would pay for you to go get like your insurance license. And, and they were like, well, well, first you get your insurance license so you can sell insurance. And then in six months you could get your securities license. So then you can like sell stocks and bonds and blah, blah, blah. So kind of the carrot was if you pass the test on your first try, we'll give you 1500 bucks. And at the time, 1500 bucks seemed like a lot of money. You know, I'm 23 living at home. I'm driving a freaking 99 Toyota Solara or something like that. I'm totally broke. I have no money. So I'm like, Oh my God, 1500 bucks. And all I have to do is like pass this test and I can definitely handle passing a test. So I passed the test, blah, 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 got my $1,500. And then once you quote unquote start, they put you in the bullpens and you call everyone on your list. You have to make 50 outgoing calls a day, set X amount of appointments um, for the next week. And then if you, if you meet your marks, so if you make enough phone calls, get enough appointments, whatever, then they give you like a 500 bucks a week or 250 bucks a week or something. So I did that met all my marks or whatever. Um, and then when you're not doing that, they're basically like coaching you. Um, the coaching was basically like brainwashing. Um, you know, they're bringing you into their culture, um, which was very cult like. Um, and so I, I made all my appointments, but then what they don't tell you the first week is you can't like go do appointments on your own. You have to bring one of the senior guys. And there was like about 12 guys there. I don't know if they were like partners or, or if there was one main guy and then other, I don't really know. So I'm just going to, I guess, call them partners. So but there was basically like 12 partners, guys that worked there uh, full time. And you had to pick one of the guys to bring on these appointments with you, but you didn't just get to pick them. You had to like go to their office, make an appointment with their secretary and ask for the privilege of like pitching your meeting to these guys. So I would go pitch my little meetings or whatever. And the deal was they would basically run the meeting and anything that they sold, they would get 75% of and you would get 25%. Actually, I think it was even less. I think it was like 90-10. And then after five 90-10s, they would step it up and step it up until you were running the meetings and getting your own money, whatever. So... I ended up like getting these guys like good appointments with people that my parents knew that had like tons of money. And the thing is kind of how it works is they know they're not going to pay you any money um, up front. And they know that there's only a very small amount of people that have enough money, even at age 23 or parents that have enough money where they'll support you and let you go for like two years until you start making money. Because kind of how insurance works is like up front, you get a big payment. And then every year after that, you get a little bit of a, a payment, like, like a trail or a draw or whatever. So that's kind of how it works. So you have to be making tons of appointments every week, keeping the appointments and then getting the product sold. And then the people can't back out because a lot of the times you'd sell like a life insurance to someone and they would be really excited. And then they would go home and talk to their wife and their wife would be like, we're not doing that not buying whole life insurance like go buy freaking like term insurance or you have insurance for your job what the hell are you doing so a lot of times you get these like big checks and then like a month later the person would terminate their policy and you would have to give all the money back 
And that's happened to me a couple times because the people couldn't pay it or they didn't pay it or they forgot or they just didn't care. So, I mean, it was really, really tough. I would say maybe one out of every hundred people that they hired, like a new person up the street, a new kid, because we were all kids, uh, one out of a hundred people would make it. And over time, I kind of like started seeing like some of the fractures, you know, because I, I wasn't smart enough to see them off the bat that, that this was kind of like, I mean, I guess it was a real opportunity, but most people weren't going to make it and they knew most people weren't going to make it. So I kind of started seeing some of the fractures um, the longer I was there, you know. Um, one thing was that they had like a real small parking lot right immediately around the building. And then basically like a block away was another parking lot. Well, everybody at the firm that was like a partner that made lots of money, they all drove really nice cars. Well, everything around the building was all these really nice cars. And then uh, the employees of the other people in the building, like, I think there was like a doctor's office, other stuff. So all immediately, all the cars outside of the building were really nice. So that kind of set the tone. And then everyone in there, like dressed in like three-piece suits, really nice watches, um, dress shoes with like wooden soles, you know, just the over-the-top kind of stuff. But a lot, but some of the other guys that were working there full-time weren't making like a ton of money and they were driving like normal cars and they had to park their cars like a block away with, with all the like interns or the trainees like me. So I kind of started to figure out, yeah, there's like a cup, like a handful of people who make money here, but everyone else here makes like 50 grand or 75 grand, you know, that's like not that great. Um, then another thing was there was like a couple guys that like basically wore the same suit every day. So obviously if you're wearing the exact same suit and tie every day, you're probably not making tons of cash. So over time, I realized, like, this is kind of bullshit. And the other thing is, I'm 23. All my friends are 23. The people that know me, like me, and trust me are 23. They don't need life insurance. And really, the thing was, they said that they were, like, financial advisors, but they were really insurance salesmen. So um, that kind of took some of the shine off it. And I don't know. I just kind of got burned out with all, like, how fake it was. But... Um, so I did eventually move on to another full-time job, but while I was there, you know, it did force me to like step out of my comfort zone and it did kind of help me think, uh, kind of a little bit differently about, about a career and about jobs and, and stuff like that, because the people that were there that had made it, that were kind of running the scam or scheme, whatever you want to call it it was really good for them. They had a perfect prospecting system going because every, I think every quarter they did it, they would have like, they would get like 20 or 25 guys that were like out of, um, fresh out of college or, uh, fresh out of law school. There was also like lawyers there that were working there. And what they would do is they would just pick out the 12 or 12 or 20 guys that had like knew the best most amount of people, the best amount of people, and that they thought that could like set these appointments. And then it was like a feeder system for all these older guys because they would just get a go on these appointments. And they knew that eventually you would run out of money and that you wouldn't be there anymore. So they weren't splitting them. So it was like a personal introduction system for them. And it was like never ending. So it was actually like kind of genius. So I did get to see like kind of that side of marketing uh, like the personal marketing. And it made me realize that 
if you're selling something that's a commodity, like life insurance is a commodity. Okay, people buy life insurance because of how much it costs. People don't want to buy life insurance. It's not sexy. You don't even get to use it because it only pays out when you're dead. So you're never going to use it. So even though they were saying our, our product's the best, blah, blah, there's like a million life insurance companies and all their products are the pretty much exact same. So it was a commodity business. And what made them, the, there's a couple handful of guys there that made good money. What made them differently is actually their ability to sell and their ability to meet people, um, immediately start building rapport with those people, getting them to know you, like you, trust you, and like going from there and keeping your pipeline full and like really selling and following up all those things that I got to see that they don't teach you any of that stuff in college. They don't teach you like you need to go out and build your personal brand by getting to know people in your community. So as far as that goes, it was good. It also got me on the phone, taught me the um, importance of kind of getting out of my comfort zone and talking to people on the phone, talking to people I didn't know um, using a, like a script, using, getting comfortable with a script and knowing how to like work a script. So it didn't sound robotic. It was your own. Um, and that did actually help me, um, start my first business. Cause I did start my first business by basically just cold calling people. Um, and I just wrote out a little strip script. So it did help me with that. And then also helped me realize the potential that you have if you're self-employed like that. I mean, I know some of these guys were actually making probably seven figures a year. There was a handful of guys that made a tons of money. One of the guys in there, his, he had a client. Now, keep in mind, I live in Omaha, Nebraska. He had a client, and the, his, his best client was the CEO of Carnival Cruise Lines. I have no idea how he met that guy. I heard there was all these rumors about this guy because he, was, he wasn't, like, very outgoing, which is kind of weird. He was kind of a nerd, but he was, like, really good at like marketing and he was really good with numbers and like figuring things out. I think he actually had like a master's degree in engineering. Um, uh, but his dad had been a personal, uh, his dad had been like, I think a stockbroker or something like that. And his dad knew a lot, tons of people had lots of money. And, um, his dad had also been, I think a partner in like four or five banks. So he like knew all these guys that owned, who, who had like sold banks and, and owned banks and stuff. So he had all these, like, there was all these rumors about all these, like, different cool marketing things he did. Like, he picked out, like, a Dream 100 list. If you don't know what a Dream 100 list is, it's, like, the 100, your 100, um, like, ideal people that you want to, like, do business with. So he did, like, a I think a Dream 100 list. And he sent everyone on his Dream 100 list, like, a bunch of, like, little packages. Like, I, one of them that stuck out in my mind is he sent all these people, um, GI Joe's with their arm, one arm and one leg torn off. And, and, and in that package, it said, I'd give an arm and a leg just to talk to you on the phone. So just a bunch of like stuff like that. It was out of the box at the time. So it did, it did help me kind of learn some cool things there. And I actually do like think about my time there quite a bit because one of the major things that it helped me with is getting over, like uh, getting over call reluctance because the main thing that taught you there was like how to like use the phone, how to be good on the phone, how to write out a script where if somebody said this, you say this. And then over time it come, it's like so easy. You don't even have to think about it. So anytime you're doing selling presentation, selling 
real estate, prospecting, anything like that, you basically need a script um, that you can go through of just like bullet points about what to talk talk about next. So like let's say I'm selling um, real estate. Me and my wife sell real estate. I'll do an open house. You have to have a script at an open house to talk to people. And it has to make sense, logical sense of what you're asking. It has to have an icebreaker, something to get them talking because you need – the more someone talks to you as a salesperson, the, the more they like you because they're talking about themselves, what they want, what's important to them. So that was probably the biggest thing I took away from that, um, that business. And the other thing is like doing sales, you think that in your head you have all these fears about what are people going to think of me, blah, blah, blah. People don't care. Like if, if, so, if you call someone and they had a loved one who just like passed away and that person didn't have life insurance, as long as you're not a complete jackass, you're going to get the sale because you're solving their, their needs. You're solving their problem. And that's really what business is all about. So I, I did take a lot of those principles with me into the other businesses I started. So that's kind of like my, I guess, one thing I wanted to talk about today was like stepping out of your comfort zone, learning about things that you're not good at. You don't have to be perfect. You're never going to be like the best in the world. Like for me, like I'm never going to be the best cold caller in the entire world because I, I struggled with it. I had to work hard at it, but you have to be good enough at least to pick the phone up and have a conversation with someone. I know in this day and age, everyone wants to do things over text, uh, over like messenger, but at a certain point, you actually do have to speak with a client. So you do need to get comfortable with that. So that, was, I guess, was my one thing is just step out of your comfort zone. Try some things. Learn some things that you're not comfortable with. So I guess uh, the next thing I want to talk about is like my idea of the week. And my idea of the week has a lot to do with the coronavirus, COVID-19, whatever. A lot of things that you're seeing on the news. <clears throat> so the idea is... There's a lot of people right now who are trying to flee New York City. They have been trying to flee New York City and places like that for quite a while. And the thing is, people are tired of being like cramped up. People, especially in the United States, they don't want to be locked down. They don't want their freedoms um, uh, being restricted. I even heard so many people were fleeing New York City into the state of Maine that a lot of people or a group of guys cut down a bunch of trees, I guess on the interstate or something. So no New Yorkers could get to Maine. I don't know if that's true or not, but it's just uh, anecdotal evidence that people are trying to leave large cities. So we have to look at when things like that happen, we have to look um, things like COVID-19 or whatever. The, you, we have to realize that COVID-19 pandemic, fear of pandemic, fear of, infectious disease is going to change the way that we do life. And actually it's going to change more the way we think about things. So everyone has always said like, I want to be like number one in media. I have to live in New York city. I want to be number one in fashion. I have to live in New York city. I want to be number one in consulting. I have to live in Boston. It's, we've always thought like we have to physically be there. But now we're finding a lot of people can do their jobs. A lot of people can do their profession. A lot of people can um, have meetings, in, basically in-person meetings, using Zoom, using the internet, things like that. And the longer we're in this lockdown, people are going to realize that they can use all those tools to achieve the things that they were trying to achieve in person. So 
how can we as entrepreneurs take advantage of, not take advantage of, but use these new opportunities, these new ways of thinking to um, either start a business or help our own business. And the idea that I have for this week is um, it's a website. Ultimately, it's going to, it would be a website. But what it is is so many people are, are, want to leave New York City, other large metropolitan areas where people are living on top of each other, and they want to live out in the suburbs or out in the country. But I want to challenge you to think, okay, I'm a top, let's say you're a top performing um, business owner or whatever, and you live in New York City. You don't necessarily have to go be at your business every day in person. So you have, the, and, and you've learned through the COVID-19 thing, that you do have the ability to work remotely. So let's say you want to pick up and move your family out to somewhere. You're not exactly sure yet. You don't know if it's uh, upstate New York. Um, maybe it's Pennsylvania, somewhere else like that. But here's the problem. If you're open to looking at all these different places, you're having to, to use Zillow or Realtor.com or whatever to search through thousands of thousands of listings that aren't going to meet your criteria or you're going to have to be in contact with multiple uh, real estate agents in multiple cities. Maybe you don't even know what cities or towns you'd be open to living in. So my idea is to uh, create a website where uh, people like that who have money, who want to leave town, who want to at least maybe not leave town permanently, but maybe they want to have a second home somewhere where they can flee if a, a pandemic or a second wave flares up later this year. So you're going to basically make a website that tailors exactly to these people. It's going to tailor to somebody who wants to spend, let's say, I would say minimum $750,000 to like unlimited. And what I would do is I would basically start out with, um, instead of a website, just to test the water so you're not spending a bunch of time wasting, spending a bunch of money and time building an entire website out, I would just start with a newsletter. Um, and I would, I, would, uh, I would select maybe like 20 or 25 different properties and I would select them throughout the country. So if somebody that might be interested um, is looking through that, maybe you have a couple houses in Pennsylvania. Maybe you have a couple houses in Arizona, maybe in Colorado. So it's like a, a broad array of different things that they might be interested to pique their interest. And then I would just put out either a paid or a free ad on Facebook or something like that where enter your uh, email address for to see like 25 houses that you could buy today to um, luxury retreats or luxury acreages, something like that, um, that people are going to be like, oh, yeah, like I want to see those houses. What, what can I get for 750 blah, 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 because a lot of people in New York City are going to be amazed at what kind of houses they could get in Arizona or Colorado uh, or Missouri or, or Florida for $750,000. I mean, I live in Omaha, Nebraska. For seven fifty, dollars you can get pretty much whatever you want. So I think people are going to have like their interest peaked. And plus, like, they're going to be on, people are on their computer all day now. They have nothing better to do. So start building your email list. And the 25 houses I select, I would just contact the agent and say, hey, um, I'm putting together an article for my blog. Is it okay if I use your listing? They're all going to say yes because most listings that are over 750 in most towns sit forever. Um, so grab like 20, 25 that have really good pictures, really pop, things like that. Let the agents know. And then as your email list builds, you can go to other listings and say, hey, um, 
I have a blog, I have 10,000 subscribers or 20,000 subscribers. These are people that live in major metropolitan areas that want to leave. They're investigating like living uh, in rural settings or living in the mountains or whatever. Um, and I put out like a weekly or monthly newsletter or whatever. Um, could I, would you be interested in like advertising in my like newsletter? And then you start charging the agents to advertise. Uh, there's some niche real estate websites that actually like charge agents 45 to like 150 bucks a month. So if you could get a hundred listings in your newsletter or on your website um, to send out every week, that's 4,500 bucks a month. Now that's really good. That's if you charge $45 a month. Um, so that's pretty good money for just putting together basically an email list and like doing advertising for somebody else. And there's really no websites that like tailor to that. There are some websites that tailor to people who want to buy private islands. And that's kind of the model that I would go off of. Um, because let's say if you have a private island for sale, it's going to take a long, long time to sell. I think there's a, I looked at the private island for sale in Florida um, when I was thinking about this idea and it's $22 million. The amount of people on earth that can purchase or would even be interested in purchasing a private island is pretty small. The amount of people that have $22 million is even smaller to blow on an island. An island, it doesn't have any house or anything. It's just bare land. So those agents are going to be willing to, if you say like, I have a pool of potential buyers, they're going to be willing in most cases to let you to possibly shell out, you know, three to six months uh, at $45 a month to potentially hook somebody because it is a niche buyer. Um, so, so that's good. And then once you like kind of get some subscribers going with this newsletter, then I would take, turn it into a full, a full website. And I think you could just build it pretty easily online. It wouldn't have to be super sophisticated. I would just keep collecting the uh, email list. And then the other benefit is if you're like me and you're a licensed real estate agent, uh, I'm a licensed real estate agent in Nebraska, by the way. I guess I have to tell everyone that I meet on the street with all these new rules that are coming out. But then you could also get a referral fee. And let's say just simple math, if you do uh, a referral fee and you get 10 people a month um, and those 10 people like purchase a house for $750 and you just get a 25% referral fee on the buy side, that's $3,700 times 10. That's $37,000 a month. So I do think that uh, if you really worked at this, you could make some pretty good money. And I think you could build your email list pretty quickly. So that's my idea of the week. If you have any questions about it or want to talk about it, I would love to love to chat. Obviously, I'm always down to talk about ideas. <clears throat> so that's kind of the idea I came up with off the top of my head this last week. The other thing I want to talk about is I'm also obsessed with looking at uh, businesses that are for sale. Um, I look through the for sale listings like I don't know, probably every day. I have a bunch of uh, things set up on my phone or on my, yeah, on my phone, I guess, where I get uh, all the new listings from the whole country. This is an old listing, but I thought it was like really interesting. Um, it's an exotic car rental business in Los Angeles, California. They're asking $2.4 million um, for the business. And Basically, what they do is they rent out Ferraris and Maseratis and Lamborghinis and stuff like that. Started it in 2014. Um, I guess the total adjusted net income for this puppy is one a little bit over 1.4 million. Uh, they have uh, 
like I said, 2014. And then they also do regular, uh, regular car rentals. But I saw it was a really interesting uh, model. And I don't know how many of you are familiar with Los Angeles, California, but I've heard, I don't, I've never been, I've heard in California, especially Los Angeles, it's all about what kind of car you drive because you're in traffic so much that it dictates your entire life. So people are obsessed with their cars. They're also obsessed with their uh, appearance. And I guess, I guess cars are really important there. I mean, a car, a car is important to me. I would never buy, buy a car for a hundred thousand dollars. I sure as hell would never rent one to show off to people I don't know. But I think, um, People would maybe rent them for fun, but I think the other thing is people would rent them for like music videos. People might rent them for movies, things like that. So it's just a really interesting business. And, and I think rental businesses, things that have um, – you can buy something and then rent it out over and over and over um, are, are a pretty interesting uh, model to go with. So, yeah, exotic car rentals. And if you're interested in the exotic car rental business um, – the business brokerage that has it listed is called – uh, first choice business brokerage and they're out of Manhattan beach, California. And, uh, Gina Vera Godar is the agent has it listed. Anyway, if you're interested in that, you want more information, uh, just shoot me a text or let me know and I can give you the information for that. Anyway, very interesting. That one piqued my interest. Um, so I also get asked a lot in my private life, people I know or whatever, ask me like, hey, like I'm thinking about doing this business. Maybe sh should I get into this? Should I get into that? And so I like to just kind of give my opinion because I like to come up with ideas, but I also like to talk about ideas and like rip them apart for people and say, hey, have you thought about this? Have you thought about that? So there's kind of three ideas I've seen floating floating around that I've heard about. People have asked me about a couple, a couple of these. The one is making or like sourcing and selling personal protective equipment like masks and face shields. Absolutely not. Do not get involved in that because number one, you look like a profiteer. So people think you're a scumbag and people are going to, people also say, well, why don't you just, if you can, if you can get the stuff, if you have it on hand, why don't you just donate it? So, and you're not, not going to make that much money. I mean, I, I think that the, the highest I've seen them online for, and maybe I'm wrong, is like $8 a mask. And those are hand-sewed masks. What are you like running a sweatshop out of your basement? You're not going to make any money with that. And people are going to think you're a scumbag. And that's going to stick with you for probably if months, if not years. So just stay out of it. And let's say you, you go through all this stuff to set up a supply line of actual real medical equipment that you can source to individuals in six months, no one is going to be using that stuff. No one is going to care. It's going to all be over. You know, um, people aren't going to be using masks for the rest of time. And if they are, they're going to be such a commodity. They're going to be like 25 cents each. So just stay out of that. That's a waste of your time. Um, the other thing I've been hearing a lot about, I've been hearing a lot about this for a long time is, People live in – I'm in Nebraska. Next door is Colorado. Kind of not next door but a little bit away. It's like Minnesota. So in Colorado, in Denver, the real estate is so expensive. No one can really afford anything. Um, I mean you can but you're not going to afford like really good stuff. 
California, obviously, you can't afford anything. Seattle can't afford anything. Minnesota can't afford anything. East Coast, forget it, uh, unless you're really creative. So I've been seeing a lot of things online about people who are like, hey, um, me and my wife or me and my husband or me and my friends or whatever want to get into like rental houses and we live in Seattle. Um, but we've heard there's like, you can buy houses for real cheap in like Cleveland, Ohio or Warren, Michigan, or, um, uh, what's another one I hear a lot about, um, Gary, Indiana. And, and they're like, we see the houses on Zillow and they're like $30,000 and you can rent them out for $900 a month. Uh, that's a terrible idea. Those are some of the most dangerous cities in the United States. For example, Cleveland, Ohio, if, I don't know if any of you ever watched a show called The First 48. It's about, um, they follow uh, homicide detectives. One of the towns that is always on The First 48 that they're following the homicide detectives is Cleveland, Ohio. So... There's tons of crime there. There's tons of drugs. It's not landlord friendly. That's another thing you have to worry about when you're like renting out houses is how much rights do the tenants have. If you can never evict a tenant and you're going to invest in somewhere that's dangerous, you're just throwing money out the window. So that's one thing. The other thing is, okay, you're making, let's say, $800 a month um, in rent. So after everything's done, let's say you're making $300, like positive cash flow, if nothing goes wrong, which if you're renting to, if you're renting to, if you're renting out a, a, a in a poor area with questionable tenants, you're going to have problems all the time. So what happens if you live in Seattle and you need to go to Cleveland to do one thing to your house, to, to, to sign eviction papers or, or go fix something or go see something or whatever? That's a probably, and if you have to do it at a drop of a hat, okay, well, what if that air, airline ticket's $500 and you have to do it four times? That's $2,000 of money you spent just going there. And you're not going to, the other thing is people are like, well, I'll just like have a, a property management company do it. You don't know anyone in Cleveland. You have no idea what property management companies are good, what are bad, anything like that. So I would just... If it's just because you can do something doesn't mean you should do something. At that point, I would say, like, if you want to make a couple hundred dollars extra a month, get a part-time job. Seriously, it's going to, like, take way less hassle than buying a rental house in a horrible area. So just don't do it. Um, and then the other one people are talking about a lot is, like, CBD, um, selling CBD, having a CBD store. I'm kind of on the fence about this one because it seems to me like people people really like CBD. I mean, it's like huge. People are talking about it all the time for their soreness, their muscle, their sore muscles, sleeping, things like that. So I do think that there's a big demand for it. And the things that I've seen, <clears throat> the real stuff that I've seen has been like fairly expensive with like pretty good like markup margins for the um, sellers of it. But now there's a lot of people doing it online. Um, but it's still like, I guess, difficult to sell online. I guess you can't sell it on Amazon or Facebook. So I guess like a CBD for now is sort of a maybe depending on how you get involved in it. Um, I think I'm gonna have to do a little bit more research. I mean, I, I definitely think a, in the short run, if you could get a good um, 
supplier or like do a good affiliate program, I think that it might be okay. But I think long-term it's going to be um, the same as like vaping or cigarettes or alcohol or anything like that, where it's going to turn it into a commodity fairly quickly and you're going to be priced out. But I don't know. I'll have to do a little bit more research. But anyway, that concludes the first episode. We had a lot of fun here today. Um, catch me next week. I'll have a whole new idea and a whole new business for sale that you might find interesting. So until then, see ya.